I've got two bits of tinfoil on the landing, I've got all the doors closed, so if anything goes wrong now, I'll be extremely pissed off. Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. And I'm Chris. And we've made it to the movies of 1994. Well, hello. How have you guys been? All right? Yeah, yes. I'm all right. Best as we can be. It's nice to be back. Nice to be back in the yeah. studio. Can we call studio. it studio? Yeah, we can call it studio. Making those um, Patreon bucks. Yeah, man. Work, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Tristan, for the uh, nice um, recording booth. And, you know, Oops, we've yeah. got... The nice soundproofing that I'm getting done on the wall right now. It's lovely. Got the egg, got the egg boxes up on the wall. It's all yeah. good. Perfect. Yeah. Um, but thanks, thanks. I can't even get Chrome to work properly, so, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, well um, as you mentioned, Patreon, Rich, thank you. Um uh, we, we well, I'd just like to say that we, yes, we have been a bit of a hiatus due to some unforeseen circumstances, but um, we we hopefully we're back to our normal fortnightly recordings. And um, I do want to give a massive shout out to our patrons Andrew and Tristan for their support and patience during the time. Um, but if you want to be a bit like Andrew and Tristan and become a patron of the Wolfie Pod, then uh, why don't you head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Wolfie Pod. We can't promise much in the way of exclusive content, but we do have a goal where if we reach five patrons, then we will record a special episode just for you, all about Ooh. our first film that we saw in the cinema. Oh, really? Yeah. You, you, you didn't run this by me? Oh, okay. That sounds well, good. I just thought I'd throw <laughs> it out there, you know. And <laughs> you just made it up see, now. Wait, what was the first film in the cinema you saw a bit dodgy? No. Okay. Was it a dodgy one your dad took you to? <laughs> no, I remember. Shit. No. I hope not. <laughs> I won't spoil it and say what it was because okay. hey, that's that's for a, that's going to be behind a paywall, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Don't let the uh, freeloaders find out what we uh, watched first. Yeah. Um, so uh, yes, movies of 1994. We're going to uh, have a look through the top ten UK grossing movies. Uh, we've got the award show back. Woo! Rich and Chris are drawn at the moment on 2-2, I believe. Damn. Hey. And uh, then we've got our picks of movies, and that's a lovely bunch of films that we've picked for you on this episode. But uh, before we do any of that, Rich, what's in the Ooh. glass, mate? Well, it's, a good one. it's a good one this Is week. It better be a yep. good one. So I've got one from a Seven Brothers um, Brewery. It is... And it's exactly what it says on the tin. It is peanut butter on a Jaffa cake. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you're drinking a tin of Ronsil then, but I was yeah, like... Well, it's, it's got the joke. consistency of it. So I don't <laughs> that joke could go over many people's heads. Does it taste uh, exactly like it says on the tin? Oh, shit, man. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's literally what it is. It's uh, yeah, peanut butter Jaffa cake stout. No, 7%. 
and it is lovely. Very, very nice. Uh, but which brewery from? It's uh, Seven Brothers. Oh, okay. I've had them. They're nice lagers. Beers. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Excuse me? I know, right. Sorry. I washed my mouth out with soap right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, save the lager, eh? So. <laughs> sorry. Um, it's just that out of context sound effect that killed me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and uh, why don't you give us a rating, Rich? Ooh, I've, I've, it's been so long, I forgot if my um, my rating system is out of five or out of ten. I can't remember. Uh, I think you was doing ten. Okay. I'll give it a 9.8. Wow, it's like your joint highest score ever, I think. Yep. That's a good That's a good ale. Edging right closer to the top. Yeah, so. so there's your recommendation for ale of the of the show. Go out and find yourself one of these beers and uh, let us know what you think. Mm. Mm. So if you uh, agree with Rich's score of 9.8. Let's go to dexterandjones.com. <laughs> nice. That was very smooth, mate. Very smooth. Like it. Um, okay. Well, let's get into the films. And we, I've got the top ten grossing films of the UK right in front of me right now. And at number ten is The Mask. Oh. And we're not really going to talk too much about The Mask because I think our next discusses episode is going to be on the, the Jim Carrey trilogy of 1994, aren't we? So That's going to be yeah. a good one. Yes. So we'll I mean, the only thing I'll bring up, and I'm sure we can all vouch for that, is um, being, how old would it be at the time? 11-year-old boy in the cinema, mm-hmm. seeing um, Cameron Diaz walk into a bank for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Say no more. It does some stuff to you. <laughs> Put some hairs on your chest. Screw the special effects. <laughs> Screw the acting. Start watching, su- start, wa- start watching Supergirl, isn't it, on TV on a bank holiday Monday. Like, Mom, I feel funny. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. And then you see Helen Slater at a Comic-Con years later, oh, and mate, she looks when, the same. When we saw Helen Slater at London <laughs> Comic-Con, I was just like, oh my God, D- literally the same. It was insane. <laughs> Shame she didn't have a Superman, Supergirl outfit on. Superman outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Superman outfit, yeah. <laughs> Complete with Christopher Reeve mask and everything, you know. Well. It was a weird childhood yeah. they had. <laughs> hey, at least it was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Christ. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, ki- you know, kissing cousins and all of that, you know. Give her a spit curl. <laughs> oh, Don't know what I mean. So I have no idea. It sounds wrong, but... <laughs> I mean, talking about mutant children, I mean, like... <laughs> That'll be God. some weird shit going on. Bloody hell. This has gone south. Hasn't <laughs> <laughs> it? I only mentioned the mask. Blimey. Welcome back, guys. Yeah, it's already been back. a month. <laughs> I hope you've missed us. Oh, dear. I won't be sending, I won't be sending this one to my mum. <laughs> um, number nine was Pulp Fiction uh, with uh, £10 million taken at the box office. Um, any Any love for Pulp Fiction for you two? Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> I just, yeah. yeah. I've never been like in to like Quentin Tarantino. I've never like sought it out. Like the only films that really truly resonate with me are the Kill Bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kind of genre. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, I like his films, but I'm not gonna pretend that I'm just gonna watch them because he made them. It's, eh, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. Pulp Fiction. It was quite a big film for me. At the time, I think I don't know because you you guys were a bit younger than me, so I was a bit older. Yeah, maybe it just resonated with me a bit more because of that. I don't know. I just remember John Travolta stabbing Uma Thurman in the heart mm-hmm. with a needle. That was like whoa. Yeah. That was kind of cool. 
but yeah. Uh, number eight, I think you might have something to say about was speed. The bus that couldn't slow down. The bus that couldn't stop. Was <laughs> <laughs> it uh, <laughs> the episode of Father Ted with a milk float? I don't know. <laughs> Pat Mustard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, any fond memories uh, of speed at all, guys? Fantastic. Sandra Bullock. Sandra well, Bullock. Yes. Um, <laughs> yep. No, it's a great film. Great I film. Dennis, Ho- Dennis Hopper on top. Cash checking form there. So I think you're a bit on a on a perving um, spree tonight, Chris, with Cameron Diaz and now Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Truly, the definition yeah. of a bus wanker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to look at that from the same way ever again. <laughs> and um, you think that, that film was probably the first decapitation I think I've ever seen in a film. I do believe. I remember just having a VHS, renting it, and just seeing Dennis Hopper spoilers get his head taken off, and I was mm-hmm. like, whoa! I'm I'm pretty sure. And it, mm-hmm. To me, that was the most like, violent thing I'd ever seen in the film, and it wasn't you know really the bloody. But. First decapitation I saw was Conan the Barbarian when I was mm. a kid. Okay. Because um, I had a lot of people living around our way that was a lot were, that were a lot older than us, so I was kind of exposed to things I shouldn't have been to adult content-wise, like films. Like in Conan the Barbarian, I remember vividly that scene, because it shocked me, of watching his mother being beheaded and it's just like whoa <laughs> what, what the hell <laughs> yeah that shit stays with you yeah I've, I don't think I mean I have seen Speed <coughs> excuse mm. me but I have not seen it what since oh, maybe you know, I, I thought I was going to be well, the biggest contradiction I thought it was going to be a, a, a hot fuzz moment then <laughs> Um, Old man's no. been cutting hedges that don't belong to him. <laughs> That's I, it. I've just watched those films again. Just watch those films again. They're I really need to good. watch those again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I haven't seen it since it first came out. So good. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's just it's so much fun. It's, it's definitely worth. It's definitely due a rewatch. Mm. I think what I like about it, it kind of has that same kind of appeal to me as like the first Die Hard does. It. It's an action film, but it has that real grounded feel to it. If it was the same, yeah. it could happen in your day, like yeah. sort of thing you'd see on the news. Yeah. Doesn't mm. have this big overblown, like, you know, Arnie Sly action movie vibe. It feels very grounded mm. and quite unsettling because you think yeah. I could be in that kind of situation. Yeah. It could happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the biggest pulls of the film, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. You got, you know, Jeff no, Daniels Sandra in Bullock, a really but... light supporting <laughs> yeah. role, and it's just, um, yeah, it's just a great little film. And Jeff Daniels, fantastic. I'm fucked moment. Oh god, that face! Yeah. It's just like, uh, yeah, we're done for, guys. And then that house just goes boom, gone. How would you and rate? It's just. How would you rate Keanu Reeves um, acting in this one? It's fine. Um, does the job. He seems alright. I've never had an issue with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. No. A lot of people say he's like a floorboard with a nail in it, but I've never had an issue with him. everything he's done. He kind of fair enough. Every actor sleepwalks through films occasionally, but um, he's got his own style, is, isn't he? Great. And that's yeah. what he brings to each film that he's in, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's he's no he's no Jason Patrick, but you know. <laughs> no, he's literally the dullest <laughs> actor ever. <laughs> like he makes he makes fucking like Keanu Reeves are like freaking. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> Good pick, mate. Good Seriously, pick. yeah, I had to think. <laughs> um, number seven was Schindler's List. Let's move on. Uplifting. Number 
before you make a bad joke, I thought then, but no, I wasn't. No, Rich did that. Rich did that to me. No, no. Don't even dare. It's like I remember you, you in a car. You, no, we're I'm not, not going to broadcast this. Like, uh, number six was True Lies with fourteen million pound taken. Uh, number five was Forrest Gump with sixteen point three. Um, number four was nearly my pick, to be honest, and that was The Flintstones. Oh yeah, okay. I didn't think about that film. They took Damn. just they, that took just under twenty I million pounds. I actually really liked The Flintstones. Yeah, yeah, it was a good film, mm. and they got a lot of things right. In I that think film. it's one of the most. I've yeah. To this day, I always say whenever it appears on TV or Netflix, I always sit there and say that has to be one of the best cartoon to live action adaptations mm-hmm. we've ever had. Uh, John Goodman and was perfect. It was Fred. faithful. Yeah. It was faithful. The casting was on point. The the physical gags were on point. The Stan Winston studio stuff was bang on. It was just, it was just great. The BC fifty twos prequel, but that was perfect. Jesus, you saw the the effort, the real like just the the love yeah. on the screen, like every single frame. It was just pure craftsmanship on display, you know, mm-hmm. the sets, the animatronics. It just, yeah, it was, it was nuts. And I, I've never really cared for the Flintstones as a show. I kind of actually yeah. despise Hanna Barbera with passion. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, boom, boomer cartoons. You know what can I say? No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that film, that film's pretty cool. Definitely like it. I think the only thing I didn't like about it was Dino. Dino. Yeah, fair enough. Why? What do you like about him? He wasn't in it. What, the wasn't weird in blend it that much. Of, no, I didn't really like. I don't know. Maybe it was just the weird the, blend of early CG and yeah. Well, I mean, they'd done it before, hadn't they? With like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like a few years before, mm. with live action and animation, and that seemed to work better than this one. Maybe they just ran out of money for that bit. But um, apart from that, yeah, Halle, I love that film. Halle Berry for the dads as well. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There's the triple whammy. Yes, they were just all, all <laughs> perving around. There you go. At number three, we have Mrs. Doubtfire. Now, this is uh, probably one of my favourite Robin Williams films for uh, quite a few reasons. Is it? Do you think it's your one, guys? Chris, it's it's a fantastic film, but I think the torch I hold for him as in Hook, I think trumps most of his film performances until I got older and started discovering his straight work. Like one hour photo and the Fisher King, I was just like, oh my god, this guy's just amazing. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire again, we've I've watched so many times because I have four young nieces, so it's always been on, and it's just a fantastic performance. <laughs> yeah, I think um, for me, um, yeah, I do like it a lot. I remember it being pretty huge when it came out. Mm. Um, and again, I think it speaks for like comedies, and but I know this film's not like an outright comedy. It's got a lot of heart. It's quite sentimental. Mm. It's a real kind of bit of a family film in a way. But they don't kind of make films like this anymore. I don't mean that in the the tropey kind of like oh they make them as good as this, but I mean they don't make these kind of family film these kind of concepts anymore. If they do, it's kind of usually like a trashy kind of like 
mm. Kevin Hart and the Rock film were like, oh, I'm going to dress a guy up as a woman. It just doesn't have this kind of tone. And that's what I like about this film. It does feel very... Oh, it feels just very kind of sweet and very sincere and quite sad. And yeah, um, yeah they play up the concept, a lot of laughs to be had, but it's yeah, it's quite a sad film. Yeah, it's quite a little dark moment, yeah. isn't it? That you I mean, don't you don't pick up when we watched it as kids. That that when you sit down and watch it with well, when I sit down and watch it with my children and I watched it I'm like, Ooh, this is actually quite this is quite dark, you know, like the the actual mm. tones of the film and the mm. and the basis of the the, the divorce yeah. and uh, and what it's doing to the children and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, just um, don't know. I just, I just remember this film obviously being one of the ones that kind of it kicked up a lot of controversy at the time because I think it came out with did it come out with a twelve or was it? Oh, I can't, can't remember, remember that. I just know there was a real debacle about the rating system over here. Um, and Isn't obviously, it PG? I think it went down to a PG. I think it came out as a 12, and I think there was a lot of outcry because obviously it was kind of limiting the audience, and a lot of parents wanted to take their kids with them or whatever, and kids wanted to see it because it looked funny, and obviously it was kind of excluding people. This is obviously before the times of 12A. Where it was kind of yeah. like it was still general admission, but it was more of a, you know, an advisory kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it did get it did get bumped down to a PG in the end. I do believe. Um, I don't know where it stands now because I mean, I think nowadays as well, and going back to some of those themes and some of the things in it, I think it'd probably be looked at more now as maybe not quite so family friendly. I mean. You could say in some regards it's a film that probably hasn't dated brilliantly. I don't think it's necessarily like problematic, but I don't know. Some of the themes in it, I'm like, oh, I don't know. It does kind of... I think with 2021 like sensibilities, it does feel a bit more like a, you know, a product of its time, I guess. Yeah. yeah, there's a bit of conflict with the ratings from what I can see. Like the website, yeah. um, the website that I use... For the chart, has got it listed as a twelve, um, but IMDb have got it listed as a U. So what the, f- what the hell? I know. Mm, so, don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. But um, it's it's still. Um, I think the scene that always sticks in my head is the bit where Piers Brosnan get it starts choking. Yeah. In the restaurant, and then um, uh, Robin has to run over and give him the Heimlich. And you see it coming, that bit of food thrown, flying out of his mouth. I don't know why that bit sticks with me, but out of all the scenes from that film, and that's the one that sticks in my brain. It's like, oh my God, I killed a bastard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Number two was The Lion King, with uh, £23 million taken. Um, my favourite Disney film yeah. ever. Really, it's just... Uh, it's just the Disney film that really captured me. And I don't know why. Maybe it was because when I first saw it, um, it was a pirate VHS. Mum got it from work. And it was like a proper camcorder jobby taken from an American cinema show. <laughs> and you could tell that because right at the end of the film, um, where it comes up, you know, it goes boom. And then it says The Lion King. And then I literally everyone in that cinema started got up and started clapping and whooping. Fucking hate America so much, <laughs> God. 
Oh, no offence to American listeners, but... Oh, it's... Yeah. Awful, awful. Like, no etiquette. I hate it. Despise it. I'm sorry. Like, I don't... Cinema's not a social gathering. I'm sorry. Sh- shut the fuck up. <laughs> don't mean they're, so, all, ba- they're all right, um, apart from that. Uh, pretty good, good mm. during the film. It's just they, they appreciated it. Quite, okay, quite I'm, glad, I'm glad they didn't spoil your your legal enjoyment of that uh, film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was very uh, pleased about that consideration. For me. <laughs> I paid money for this. Or I didn't pay money for this. Inconsiderate. But if I was yeah. the video, come on. Oh dear. Um, so that, that's my long-lasting memory of the Lion King. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, and number one was four weddings and a funeral. It took twenty-seven point seven million pounds. Mm. I don't know. I like this film, weirdly. I remember when it came out, I don't know what drew me to watching it. I don't know if it was just that kind of like, it was part of the, the zeitgeist, kind of like the full mm. Monty. Everyone just wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. So you just, yeah. even that the age I was then, I found myself watching it. I don't know why. Oddly. Um, it's not really yeah. a film to appeal to that kind of age bracket, was it? No, I don't really want to watch Hugh Grant. I don't know. It was a kind of... Yeah, it was a kind of yeah. mum movie, wasn't it? Like, oh, mum's watching Four Weddings and you end up seeing a bit of it. But again, I never yeah. sought it out. It was just always occasionally on. As I, when I got older, I actually sat and watched the whole, well, not by choice, but <laughs> I ended up seeing the whole film in one go. But and That bloody wet, wet, wet song as well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up. 12 weeks, wasn't it? 15. Oh. 15 weeks. Or for what's... More than Brian Adams, isn't it? By like, was that no? That was longer, wasn't it? That was I like think by a week mm. or two. Yeah. Yeah. Shit. But, um, and that's the uh, that's the top ten. That's how it, that's how it looked from that year. Um, some um, honourable mentions from below the top ten for me, probably. Um, well, there's only well, Wayne's World two, uh, and Cool Runnings. Probably the only two other two films that's sticking out to me. Then cool he... Runnings. Oh, wow. I haven't watched that in the longest time. I need to watch that. It must be on Disney Plus, obviously. So I need to. Oh, yeah, it must be. Yeah. Fire that. It's up. just such a fun movie. That. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whoever, Very heartfelt and. Yeah, whoever whoever dreamed of <coughs> that idea deserves a big. Hopefully, got a big paycheck. Yeah. It's just felt like when you see YouTube videos comparing the actual real world event to the film, obviously it's romanticised and stuff, but yeah, just the film in general, just they got the casting and the chemistry is just fantastic between all of them. Yeah, no, the casting was really well done. And it was John Candy, wasn't it, the coach? Yeah, it was. Yeah. I think one of his last roles, of, well, at some mm. point soon, we'll lose him. Yep, but cracking film, cracking film. Um, so yeah, so that's that's the kind of stuff that was going on in the films. Um, now we need to find out what's going on in the awards. And uh, it's time, guys. Time for the awards game. six categories in front of me and uh, you guys are going to take it in turns to give me a number and whichever category is associated with that number is what you get to guess from. 
Um, Chris, why don't you go first, mate? Give me a number between one and six, please. Two. Number two, and um, that's best makeup. Mm. And your choices are Schindler's List, Mrs. Doubtfire, or Philadelphia. Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? <laughs> um, I want to go for like Mrs. Doubtfire for the obvious prosthetics. But also complete Oscar bait. I want to go for Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. Let's go for Philadelphia. Okay. Um, Rich, what do you think? I'm going to say Mrs. Doubtfire. Okay. Well, the person who got it right was Rich. It was Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, that was me betting on a wild card and got it wrong there, but. It's a smart, it's a smart strategy. Yeah, it I can is. see why. It <laughs> seems like Mrs. Datfar's a bit too safe. I get that. Yeah. So because yeah, we all know what they're like in the uh, at the academy, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Rich, give me a number. One and five. Um, One to five for that number. Four. Number four. Yes, please. Number four is best visual effects. And your choices are cliffhanger. The Nightmare Before Christmas or Jurassic Park? <laughs> hmm. Um, well, hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be Cliffhanger, no Jurassic Park. I can't think of Cliffhanger about Ace Ventura when nature calls. Don't. <laughs> the raccoon. <laughs> oh, God. That broke me as a kid. I was like, oh, this is what this film's going to be like. This is depressing. <laughs> um, yeah, it has to be Jurassic Park. I mean, I mean come on, there's no competition. No. Chris? But yeah, it's going to have to be Jurassic Park. You're both going for Jurassic Park? Yeah. Okay. Well, the correct answer was The Nightmare Before Christmas. No, I'm joking. It was Jurassic Park. <laughs> you had me then. You had me. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's a point each. So uh, Rich is on two and Chris is on one at the moment. Mm. Uh, Chris, give me a number. We've got one, three, five and six left. Six. Number six is Best Director. And the uh, the nominations were Jim Sheridan for In the Name of the Father, James Ivory for The Remains of the Day, Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List, Jim, no, not Jim, I said that one, haven't I? Jane Campton for The Piano, or Robert Ullman for Shortcuts. It's got to be Schindler's List, surely. I, mean, I was, I was going to say the same, to be honest. You're both going for Schindler's? Mm. Yep. Yep, okay. You'd both be right. Well done, mm. it was Schindler's List. Um, so that's Rich on three, Chris on two. Rich, give mm. us a number. Five, um, three or one? One. Number one is the best supporting actress. And your choices are Holly Hunter for The Firm. Winona Ryder for The Age of Innocence, Anna Parkin for The Piano, Emma Thompson for In the Name of the Father, or Rosie Perez for Fearless. I'll go for Emma Thompson. 
Emma Thompson for Rich. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, both for Emma Thompson. Okay. The correct answer was Anna Paul Quinn for the piano. Ah. I had no idea she was an Academy Award winner. You do now. I seriously every day. What I I had no idea that Anna Parkrin held an Oscar. Like <laughs> you don't think of it, do you? She's been tiny as well. She's been like a little top. I mean, God, this is what? How many years before? This X-Men? is what eight eight years before X Men, isn't it? Yeah. Shit. No, X Men was two thousand, wasn't it? So yeah, six seven years maybe. Um, Chris, yeah. pick a number. You've got five and three left. Three. Number three. Number three is Best Supporting Actor. And the choices are Ralph Fiennes for Schindler's List, Leonardo DiCaprio for What's Eating Gilbert Grape, Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive, John Malkovich for In the Line of Fire, or Pete Postlewaite for In the Name of the Father. I know that Leonardo DiCaprio didn't win an Oscar until The Departed. I'm going to go for Pete Possefwaite. Ooh, that's a random. Don't be lazy, home, but home I, gems. I genuinely had Pete Possefwaite as well. Because <laughs> mm. I do think it was that. Okay. Unfortunately. So, so both for Pete, yeah? Yep. Okay. The winner of the Best Supporting Actor of the 1994 Oscars was Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. Oh, really? I remember that. Jeez, wow. Okay. Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. Interesting. So I, still, I still think it's 3-2 uh, to Rich. Yes. So, uh, the last one for a draw, Chris. Got to get this one right. Um, that's Best Picture. And the choices are The Fugitive, The Piano, Schindler's List, In the Name of the Father, or The Remains of the Day. Schindler's List, surely. It it just makes me sound lazy, but (laughs) look at Schindler's List. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I think it was. I I can't even, like, pretend to choose anything else. Um, I I guess when you look at it, um, when you see Schindler's List there and then The Fugitive, I mean, well, what's going to win more so? I think I explicitly remember watching it that night and Schindler's List winning. So, mm. yeah, back in the day of taping it on BBC Two, <laughs> in the middle of the night watching it for school, just fast forwarding through it. So, fast forwarding through all the boring ones. Bit of Billy Crystal skits at the start. Nice. <laughs> Uh, good old days. Um, well, you're both right. Unsurprisingly, it was Schindler's oh. List. So that leaves it at Rich at four and Chris at three. So, oh, Rich, gosh. you win this one, mate. Huzzah! Huzzah! So that makes uh, an overall score of Rich three and Chris two. So, hey. so pull your socks up, Chris, mate. The next one. <laughs> We can't let Rich run away with it, otherwise, you know, it'd be boring. 
I can't I'll run with anything, trust me. I'm in appalling shape, so don't let me run. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Patreon exclusive as well, right? Oh, no. No? Okay. No amount of money is going to get me to do that. <laughs> Uh, well all that's left for us to do guys on the episode is just to have a chat about our uh, movie choices of 1994 Mm. and um, I'm really looking forward to this so um, Rich I want you to go first with your choice because I'm really intrigued to hear what you think of this (laughs) Um, so please let, let us know what is your choice my choice, it's going to be the Stephen D'Souza classic, Street Fighter. Ah, the road not taken. But why? Why do they still call me a warlord? And mad? All I want to do is to create the perfect genetic soldier. Not for power, not for evil, but for good. Carlos Blanca will be the first of many. They shall march out of my laboratory and sweep away every adversary, every creed, every nation, until the very planet is in the loving grip of the Pax. By Sonica. And then peace will reign in the world, and all humanity shall bow to me in humble gratitude. Um, so this is, from what I recall, probably the second video game movie adaptation ever, a year after Mario Brothers, which I believe was my choice last year, so you can see a, a pattern forming here. Um, just like the video game, Street Fighter was set in the uh, fictional Asian nation of Shadaloo, <laughs> where there's a civil war. <laughs> um, Erupting between General M. Bison and the not-UN, the Allied Nations, um, led by Colonel William F. Guile, who is the uh, all-American hero of the film. Um, (laughs) Bison's basically captured some relief workers and he wants a $20 billion ransom that he wants to use to build Bisonopolis, which is (laughs) essentially a shopping mall with a food court (laughs) and its own currency. Um, I do remember a line in the film going along the lines of um, this was beautifully delivered by Rod Julia by the way every bison dollar will be worth five British pounds for that is the exchange rate the Bank of England will set when I kidnap their queen beautiful 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 Um, this obviously upsets Guile um, who's played by Jean-Claude Van Damme he appears on the live news and conducts what can only be described as a wrestling promo on Bison. It is everything you expect from Van Damme. It's, you know, hey, Bison, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's, you know, American hero. What more can be said? It's, 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 this film is nuts. I mean, 
as far as we're aware at this point, Van Damme is high on coke. Um, that's <laughs> In real what, life. Yeah. Like most yeah, of Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. It, apparently, I don't think he had a great time doing this film other than apparently nobbing Kylie um, on set. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that makes me laugh when I watched this film the other night, one of the things that still sticks with me when he cuts his promo on um, Bison is that he's got his one friend, Charlie, who's being held captive along with the other um, workers. And he basically gives him up on the news by name dropping him, giving him a shout out. Because <laughs> at this point, Bison's got all these nameless, faceless hostages. And he's like, hey, Charlie, mon ami, you know, we're coming for you. <laughs> and it's like, you can see the twinkle in Bison's eye. He's like, wait a second, Charlie. And just looks around at him. He's like, oh, you're Giles, friend. Who then proceeds to take him down to a lab that looks like a Power Rangers set. <laughs> and they pump him full of mutagen and turn him into Blanca. And it's just crazy. Um, I think basically what they do with Blanca, they just yeah, pump him full of mutagen and show him videos of Adolf Hitler. Apparently that's what you need to do to turn him into a, um electric beast. I don't, I don't know. It, but yeah, Bison looks like... Um, Bison, sorry. Blanca looks like complete dog shit in this film. It looks terrible. Um, but yeah, this film is nuts. It's completely so unapolog- unapologetically campy. I mean, I mean, it was made by Stephen D'Souza, who at this point I think had ever directed a film. I think he was just a screenwriter, if I remember rightly. I think this was his first rodeo, actually, mm. getting behind the camera. Mm. Um, but it just in no way resembles the game which is based. And I I get it in one regard because yes it's a fighting game you need to kind of give it some narrative you need to put some meat on that bone and you know have a story have some stakes have two sides instead of everyone fighting everyone else you need to have you know allies whether they be the protagonists or the antagonists it, it, it makes sense from a screenwriting point but you've got your two main characters you know Ryu and Ken which I was always a massive Ken fan and in this they're arm dealers arms dealers who are selling fake weapons and they're just like a couple of schmucks I mean Ken looks like he's been kicked out of Cobra Kai like he just doesn't look like Ken who's a freaking badass yeah and it's it's just odd you've got Chan Lee who's a news reporter and um um, Balrog and E Honda are like her cameramen. I'm just like, and E Honda's Samoan as well, not Japanese, but you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Cami, played by Kylie Minogue. I mean, need I say any more? Um, it's crazy. I mean, Simon Callow's in this film for like five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> it just pops up. I mean, it's a bit in this film where Guile um, is planning the uh, the assault on Bison's base, and Simon Callow just rocks up from what two years rem- two years prior to like doing Ace Ventura when Nature Calls, <laughs> just um, <laughs> you know, great thespian, re- highly regarded Shakespearean actor Simon Callow um, just comes up and tells Van Damme that the war's been cancelled, that they're paying the bison, they're paying the ransom to Bison. And Guile basically proceeds in motivating his troops through the power of sarcasm, which is something I never knew you could do. It was like, just says to them how like, oh, yeah, everyone has died, but that's okay because we get to go home. And they all just like, say, fuck it, let's go 
wage war. I don't give a shit if the war's been cancelled. We're going to go take Bison down. Um, which then leads to Guile jumping into his stealth boat, which has his name on the side of it for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> uh, it's like the HMS William F. Guile. I don't, I don't get it. Um, he goes off to Bison Space in his boat, and then halfway through the boat trip, decides to put on a VHS tape of him and Charlie during old times. They're like going to parties, going on holidays together. It's basically like giving the film its like hearts on fire moment for Rocky. But it's like he's in canon putting on a videotape while he's driving a stealth boat <laughs> to like pump himself up. I was like, I'm generally watching this the other night. I felt like I was on Coke, never mind Van Damme. It's crazy. I, I love this film. It's absolutely bonkers. Um I mean they must yeah. have they must have struggled when they got the gig and like, right, we're going to make a film of Street Fighter. Yeah. How, how do you even start, you know, with that? I mean, they, they don't really... Ha- I mean, the characters at the time didn't really have that much of a backstory, did they? Not really. Um, no. So they've obviously sat down and tried to make something work and then just went completely off the boil with it all. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't help that, like, what is it, about $35 million budget and $8 million of that went to Van Damme's paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... That's why basically everyone else in the film, other than Simon Callow and like Kylie to a lesser extent, they are complete unknowns. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Like so in terms of resources, you know, good script you know, screenwriters yeah, I don't know how they adapted it. Because um, it's kind of basically gotta start from scratch. You've got to build the characters, gotta build the characters back up, backstories how they're going to interact with each other and mm. and everything else. And, yeah, they obviously just couldn't afford decent scriptwriters for that. Mm-mm. I mean, there are some bad lines in this film. I mean, there's some good stuff as well, but yeah. there's some generally kind of funny moments. There's the bit where there's, like, the uh, the truck that's driving towards, like, their compound. I think it's going to blow up. And, like, they're in the compound. And Zangief, it's, it's being broadcast on live TV news, and Zangief is just shouts, like, change the channel. Like them turning off the TV is going to stop this truck that's on TV from ploughing into their base. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of funny. Like He plays the big, dumb, Russian brute henchman. and it's. But there are some terrible, terrible lines in this, and all of them come from Van Damme. I mean, <laughs> there's the... Um, oh, God, what's the now? He's like... And Basson goes like, I'm a debt collector. He goes, your ass is six months overdue. <laughs> like, it's so God. bad. It was like, I'm the repo man and you're out of business. And it's just like, oh, uh, oh God. And there's the one, there's the line when they're talking about their plan to attack Bison Space. And they're like, I think um, Guile kind of gives their strategy of what they're going to do. And someone says like, oh, you're out of your mind. Yeah, that you have to be out of your mind to do this. And so, luckily, Bison has driven me crazy. It's just like, it's just like this is so shit, it's so aggressively shit. Um, but on the flip side, you've got the the marvelous, wonderful, sorely missed Raul Julia, oh, like, who taken too soon. Yeah, the performance of a mm. lifetime. A man that did a film for his kids because they enjoyed the games and I think he just kind of wanted to do something fun. He, yeah, he knew he was battling stomach cancer. Mm. They shot this film around that. They basically filmed this in reverse 
because while he was going through his treatment, they could film um, some of the um, the wider shots, basically. And it went, so I think he got further into his treatment and they could start to kind of, he started to bulk up a little bit. They could do some of the less action shots and some of the more close-ups. So they basically shot it completely backwards, mm. um, which probably didn't help the production, but I don't give a shit because it made it more comfortable and better for him. And he is yeah. like the shining light in this film. Like this is not like a wink and a nod postmodern, like, oh yeah, it's really good. No, he is magnificent in this film like you can say what you will but everyone else everything else but he is true to form this is not a great actor putting in a bad performance in a bad film he is so so good and i think he got a saturn award for like best best supporting actor for this film um and he has so many great lines he's such just gravitas and beautiful delivery i mean yeah i mean oh he's still got one the, the line gives me chills now there's a bit where um he's having like the final fight with guile um and guile kicks him into like a bank of hard drives and he gets electrocuted as you do with hard drives and uh, bison basically is revived by his suit um that's powered by you know, electromagnetic electromagnets and um it gives him the ability to fly and like fire electricity out of his hands and ship. And uh, he just says to Guile, um, and I quote, this is merely superconductor. I can't even say it. I'm laughing so much. <laughs> he said, this is merely superconductor electromagnetism. Surely you've heard of it. It levitates bullet trains from Tokyo to Osaka. It levitates my desk where I ride the saddle of the world. And I was just like, I was grinning from ear to ear. Uh, it's just so good and then there's a bit at the end where he goes like full satanic and he just says to guile like um right towards the end of their fight he just says i'll pray to your god for i beheld satan as he fell from heaven like lightning <laughs> he just fires electricity out of his hands and i'm like this is street fire <laughs> yeah and he's like going full like full bore on stage shakespeare while yeah. wearing his silly M. Bison mm. hat. And I'm just like, this is brilliant. And uh, I'm done. Yeah, I'm just, I'm smiling now. Yeah, this film's shit beyond words, but I had fun watching it the other night. <laughs> but, I, I did. It's it, it's funny. It, it's great. It's, uh, yeah. It's um, funny you say about Raul Julia with the Shakespearean tone, because the trivia that I picked for this film says that for the role of M. Bison, he researched various dictators and crime lords and their lives and personalities Christ. and mimicked many of their traits to incorporate into the character, uh, not notably Benito Mussolini's hand gestures, Joseph Stalin's manner mannerisms, Pablo Escobar and his elusiveness and Adolf Hitler's love of art. Uh, okay. Only Raul Julia would go that method. Um, Julia, <laughs> <Yeah>. street fighter. <laughs> oh my god, I um, love him. Julia also approached the role with a Shakespearean tone, looking at Bison in the same type of villain as Richard the Third. Okay. I mean, it's the so. bit where he like takes Charlie into his quarters and he's like changing behind the screen. And he gets full blown like robe and smoking jacket, and he's got he's like alternative hat and it's just yeah it's it's very very it's a very showy performance he's like 
a lot of grandeur and it's just silly delusions of grandeur it's yeah it's yeah i could see how he goes down a really like eccentric mm. dictator route like lots of wealth lots of just i don't know it's um he just added a lot of layers to something that really is just a pixelated end boss of a fighting game from like the early 90s it's 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 brilliant it could have been so one note it could have got any old schmuck to play him and i'm so glad they gave it some thought i was going to say that the people in charge of the casting of this film kind of got it wrong in many ways but Mm -hmm. for that character they got it right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i mean i think van damme as guile is just complete what van damme and anything is (laughs) questionable but I mean, he's playing an American soldier, yeah, with a yeah. like. Is he Austrian? Isn't he? He's Belgian. Belgium, sorry, mm. kind of accent going on with it, and it just doesn't work, really, does it? No. no. If you want a you want a true like example of like how it doesn't work, there's a bit where he says about I'm gonna I'm gonna take my boat and I'm gonna go up the river. He just <laughs> the way he says river, I can't I can't do the accent, but the way he says river is so just like. French. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like he's got these stars and stripes tattooed on his right bicep. I'm like, what is fucking yeah, going on? It's the same as with her best British accent. It's just mm-hmm. oh, it's whatever the it's same as passing Christopher Lambert off in Highlander as a Scotsman, oh, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, Christopher Lambert dude, has his own accent. It's like, dude, you're fucking French. You're like, <laughs> fucking hell, like, you can't mask that. Yeah. But the thing is with River Julia, that's the only thing I ever remember from Street Fighter film is him. Yeah. Yeah. In this and a guy that always put his all into any role and is always missed and I think it was this and Adam Sunny values. He was literally dying filming both of these over the course of a few years. If I remember rightly. So sad. And it always chokes me up because every time I see him turn up in whether it be a, a small part in a f- random drama film or Adam's Family or Street Fighter, you always think to yourself, and I always do, if that dude was around, he could have been this generation's Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, yeah. You know, this this Hispanic actor who came from nothing and had so much charisma that it oozes off to... Literally, you feel that charisma coming off the screen onto you smooth and just suave and just like that glint in his eye and it's a shame but yeah. such is life you know and uh and saying that like weirdly Antonio Banderas has that same that same feeling he mm-hmm. loves everything See he does that? and yet you know you watch Antonio Banderas do Spy Kids he's loving that <laughs> yeah he's yeah. loving every minute of those films and they're fun but you see that, and Antonio Banderas in, um, was it uh, Expendables 3, wasn't it, he was in? Yes, it was, did. Mate, him in that film, he was loving every second, and you could tell. And with Raul Julio, you get that in every single role you see him in. It's just, it's such a yeah, loss. Yeah, that's one thing with Banderas and, in that film. I don't want to go too much of a tangent, but yeah, what I loved about Banderas in that film is that he's playing very much against type for him. Yeah. He was yeah. this weird, kind of slightly a bit oddball kind of character he was mm. comedic. he was like the comedy guy i was like the fuck's going? yeah yeah that should have been the role for i don't know johnny knoxville or some shit came in you know, someone someone came yeah. into that film to do some yeah. silly side role you know but yeah it was and him. it always bums me out because like 
you see actors take like a hiatus of like 10 or 20 years and then all of a sudden you see a film and you're like is that no it is and it always gets me every time i see robin williams because i'm like that guy should have turned up in his 80s in a Mm -hmm. random film and you get sit there and go fuck is that robin williams yeah and we've been robbed of that unfortunately and it's just such a shame um yeah i think about these films that you know rogelio could have made over the last 25 years and it just mm. bums me out it bums yep. me out was it 54 <coughs> oh, it's sad. I didn't even uh, think he was that old yeah no 54 when he uh, yeah it's uh, I don't know, he's just yeah so again d- he must have been he would have been nearly 80 now yeah he would be which is crazy when you think about Christ, it Christ he did not look 54 or in his 50s no. at all I always yeah, thought it was in his... Yeah, 1940 he was born, so... Christ, I always thought it was in his mid-40s. I never thought it was that Shit. old. But yeah, it just... Yeah, again, this film's ridiculous, but without a single shred of, you know, being cute about it, being sarcastic, being ironic. No, he is magnificent, this film. Mm. I enjoyed every second he was on screen. It wasn't like a welcome relief from the crap it was just like i was watching a great performance a generally great performance that could have just appeared in a, in a truly great film in the same right it just yeah it just took you away from the rest of it and just yeah, i was completely sold and i just loved him absolutely loved him um it was fun it's good this film hasn't improved well, i i laughed at some of the wobbly sets in it there's some bad production there's a, there's a bit when Sagat sits at a computer terminal and the whole thing moves with his weight. He's <laughs> <laughs> it's just cardboard. It's like, I was like, oh shit, all that Van Damme money. All that Van Damme money. Should have been putting it on the sets. But, you know, he's got to pay for his coke somehow. So These, um, these things are only going to show worse in uh, modern day resolutions. Oh, yeah. yeah. As well, I've mean, got so. this in 1080p amazingly. It looked good. It looked yeah. good. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was fun. Um, yeah. There's pretty much 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 better films that year, but yeah, you know, I, I like my my weird choices. And if I'm, you if you could put this film against uh, the Mario Brothers film, which one would be your favourite? Oh man, what do you think? Ooh. Which one was the better film out of the two? I had Mario Brothers definitely. Um, mm. It's hard because at the same time I'm like. Oh, because Rajuli is that good in this film, I almost am like, I like Mario Brothers, I stand up for it, but I guess in a way it's completely unremarkable against this film because of Rajulia mm-hmm. and Rajulia alone. So it's hard. I mean, I, I don't know how to choose one over the other, to be fair. It's kind of because this has something at least that stands out so much, whether for better or worse. Um, maybe I will say this. Yeah, maybe, but it's so <laughs> close, close <laughs> because yeah. I like, I love, and I respect so much of what they did with the concept of Mario Brothers. Yeah, they were inventive with it, unlike yeah. this. And at least the sets um, didn't wobble. Indeed, it didn't. <laughs> no, just or you could always do the ultimate fan edit and take out Dennis Hopper and edit in 
Raul Julia's <laughs> into the Mario Brothers movie. Now that would be interesting. That would be Hasht- interesting. Hashtag release the Jenkel cut. That's what I say to my <laughs> brother's movie. That's out there now, apparently. It is. Uh, it is out there. Yep. Supposed yep. to make it um, slightly better. Give it to me. It four works. hours of it on uh, Disney Plus or whatever the fuck streaming service is going to have it next week. I don't know. Give it to me. Give it to me, please. So, but yeah, this is this is. Um, fun um not the best film of the year but i i, I couldn't ignore a certain actor certain performance in this film um yeah. it'd be very easy for me to choose one of the the holy trinity of jim carrey films of this year but again as like mentioned earlier we'll talk about that at a later date so i thought i'd give this film and Raul julia its moment in the sunshine mm. and uh god rest his soul respect to you mate respect to you yeah. Um, this film came out on the 19th of May 1995 in the UK. Mm. Um, but it came out on Christmas Day of 94 <laughs> in America. Kids, what game for Christmas? You're going to see Street Fighter. <laughs> Ooh, what wash out that uh, Christmas was. I did see this at the cinema when it came out, though, to be fair. So. Ooh, still not the worst film you probably saw either at the cinema. Nah. But we can save that for a Patreon episode, so don't say it. Come, um, the worldwide gross took uh, 99.4 million pounds from a 35 million pound budget. But I'm saying pounds, but it was dollars. So uh, at least the uh, at least the um, who 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 released this was it Universal? It was yeah. It was a distributed between Universal and Columbia TriStar, okay. but it was actually it was actually partially. Financed by Capcom as well. Um, <laughs> well, at least basically, they, were happy. they made yeah. a bit of money out of it. So, yeah, they wanted to approve it. They, I think, they had certain creative say on the film. They approved everything, but one of the terms of that was they had to co-finance it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there you go. Well, thanks for that, Rich. That was a blinding choice. Thank you for nineteen ninety four. Let's move on to my film now. And my choice is True Lies. Son of a bitch, do you think you can elude us forever, Carlos? Huh? Wait, you got the wrong guy. My name's Simon. Look, look, j- just let me go. There's, there's no need to kill me. I haven't seen your... It's you! Hey, you still interested in that vet at all? Hey, Carlos, the game's over. Your career as an international terrorist has been well documented. No. Oh, yeah! No, no, oh, yeah! No, 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 I, I sell cars, that's all! Come on. I'm not a terrorist. I'm actually a complete coward. If I ever saw a gun, I'd all. Oh, God, oh, please don't, 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 don't kill me. I'm not a spy. I'm nothing. I'm naval lint. I have to lie to women to get laid. And, and I don't score much. I got a little dick. It's pathetic. Oh, 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 God, oh. Would a spy be himself, huh? Huh? Oh, God! Now, when I look back on the films of 1904, this one stuck out a mile. 
to me. And when I thought about it, why, why that particular film? And I think it was just because it was a point in Arnold, Arnold's career where he was really branching out to different genres of films, like he'd done Jingle All The Way and Junior and Twins. And he wasn't just this... Um, action hero anymore he he was trying to go off in different ways and some of it worked some of it didn't but he went back to his roots but he kind of put some of that into this film as well he was still a little bit light-hearted in in the the act in the in the role for this film but it's just a fun film with just fun segments in it and it was all I think it was like one of the best acted films from Arnold and with the kind of chemistry with Jamie Lee Curtis as well it just blended for a great film but do you do you, do do you agree guys yeah it's fun I think I caught it not so long ago it must have been about a year ago on some random like freeview channel and it's just fun you got Jamie Lee Curtis and Arnold Schwarzenegger weirdly have amazing chemistry. Yeah. And you never would have thought that. And um, I just like the tangent that it goes yeah. off. Because, like, it all starts and it's all James Bond kind of spy mm. espionage stuff going on. And it's all real fun. And, you know, Arnold blows up a building with his lighter and everything else. And then you see him then having to get all his cover story straight for the wife and the family because obviously they don't know that he's a secret agent. But then it's... So you're you're going in this film in this direction and then, like, you start meeting some of the bad guys and it's all... The plot's starting to get into... into... into its swing, if you like. And then he decides he's going to take his wife out for lunch and then the film just goes off in a completely different direction <laughs> yeah and and i think that's what i like so much about it you you just don't see this curveball of where the film just decides it's just going to go off and then like he's hell bent on using as much power as he possibly can to find out who this guy is that apparently his wife is being is uh, is cheating on with and it turns out that it's like Bill Paxton playing like this con man who's just trying to pretend to be a secret agent so he could get the ladies. God, Bill Paxton, I love him. And it was so brilliant. Like he played that, he played that role to perfection. I thought. Do you agree? Is that? Is, oh God, he had those. He had that really bad line in that film, didn't he? Oh God. I remember that. I remember now Bill Paxton in this film, which is about fucking. Oh, was it? She's got a pair of titties. Makes you want to stand up and beg for buttermilk. Ass <laughs> uh, like a ten-year-old boy. Yeah, oh, that's no. it. Yes. Oh, I watched that film in years, but I remember that line. That's <laughs> stayed in my mind. Jeez, I forgot it was from that film. Holy yeah. shit! He just plays oh, that dear. like perfect, sleazy, yeah, kind of character who's just out. You know, who can't naturally get a girlfriend so he has to do it in this sense and uh, I just love the way that he that's they... like a precursor to Tinder wasn't it <laughs> oh god I got a little dick it's pathetic that's right yeah 
<laughs> oh shit! I'm watching this film tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, but then it all kind of blends back into where the film starts and where you've got that striptease scene, yeah. where Harry is tricked his wife into thinking that she's on some kind of mission to pay back the the government for for what she was doing with with this uh, with the other guy, I forget his name. Um, and even that striptease scene is is just iconic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in the film industry in films in, in itself. And Jamie Lee Curtis can bloody dance. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, I haven't seen it in in well, but it must must be about a year or so. It's based on a French film, wasn't but, it? La Total or something, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, and they. Um, because what I like about Jamie Lee Curtis is how well she pulled off the the, the shy kind of insecure kind of housewife mm. who feels like she can't really do much. And even like in that scene at the beginning when she's just doing like a dad dance style thing, and then all of a sudden she just like clicks into this role, and then she's like proper rolling and pole dancing yeah. and everything. That's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. She kind of almost has that like um, Adrian and Rocky arc in like one yeah. film <laughs> yeah and it's then it's meek you know yeah and then it's just cool that we then see like she has to go they, they get captured and then it's kind of like a husband and wife kind of thing and mm. like she's learning about her husband for the first time um and uh you know we, we she sees like harry killing people and beating the shit out of everybody and it's kind of an awakening for her mm-hmm mm-hmm um, and then, uh, obviously, we we all roll out to the to the. I mean, just bef- before that as well, with the the horse chase, where with the uh, bad guy on the motorbike, and then Harry nicks the the horse to uh, to chase after him, and they get to right to the top. Do you remember that bit in the film when they're in the lift? Oh no, I do not. Again, like I said I haven't watched the film in years. Oh my god, no, I watched that bit. I'm sitting here actually trying to remember parts blank. of it. <laughs> yeah, um, you make got, a choice, there, Jason. I know, right? <laughs> I did, didn't I? Um, you've got um, the bad guy in the motorbike, and he gets in one lift, and then Harry gets in the other lift on the horse, and then they go up the building, looking at each other because it's like a glass elevator, and they get right to the top, and then um, the guy on the motorbike he revs and then he goes full throttle he jumps off the side of the building and then lands in the swimming pool so then um harry sees this he decides he's going to try the same thing on the horse um so he he um he, he tries to get the horse to gallop and the horse goes and he gets right to the edge of the building and then the horse goes uh-uh, ain't doing that mate <laughs> and he like ah, yep. slams his brakes yeah. on and then harry kind of like swings over on over to the onto the uh, edge of the building and he's literally hanging hang there hanging on to the to the reins um but just fun fun but good action i think that's what this film basically is yeah and even at the end where we could have uh his daughter kind of gets roped into all as well played by eliza dushku yeah which i never realized until i rewatched it this uh for this for the podcast and the whole scene where he just gets into a harrier just amazing yeah. just loved it nuts. It was Art Malik nuts. as well. I mean, I love Art Malik, who's obviously the main bad guy in this film. Mm-hmm. Him being on, but it wasn't at the end. It wasn't he like fired off on a, on a rocket, like he's actually riding the rocket. Like, yeah, he jumps onto the Harrier, and then um, 
his uh, um, Harry kind of swings the plane around and manages to get him to fall, and then he's hanging hanging off a missile, and then he sees <laughs> one of the um, bad guys' helicopters through a building. So then he just targets the helicopter and then just lets rip. Brilliant. Brilliant. I haven't. I'm gonna to have to watch this because oh, I'm yeah. sitting here going like, I don't remember that I bit. Think, I, think <laughs> I don't remember. I think I've impressed myself because I found a film and chose one that you don't know nothing about, Chris. I remember. I've watched <laughs> it, new like a few times, but I can't, I I need to rewatch it properly because it's been probably one or two years, maybe more even. But I just um, I'm blanking on some of the uh, <laughs> the set pieces and scenes. But you've but got, I, go on, Rich, sorry. I, sorry. I mean, it is in my head as to what it's about and what happens, but I can't pin anything down and pull, pull anything out. It's strange. Brain's I, a bit Swiss cheesed. <laughs> <laughs> I generally think I've probably watched this film twice in my life, the more I think about it. I think once when it first came out on rental, and now I think it probably when it was like a ITV Coca-Cola movie what? premiere. <laughs> the Diet Coke movie premiere. <laughs> and I, I taped it on like a Saturday night, watched it the next morning. I generally think that's probably the last time I watched it was taped off TV. I do not remember watching this on disc. And now I'm pretty sure I've not watched this film in maybe 20 years. <laughs> do I think about it? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I remember the Bill Paxton lines about our soccer 10-year-old boy, but... Yeah, I can't remember anything else. <laughs> I think I think the trouble with True Lies is that it's not very widely available. Mm, okay. Like you can pick it up on eBay on DVD, but I mean there's no Blu-ray, nice. and it's and it's not on any of the UK streaming services. I mean that's I unusual because it was was it a Michael Bay movie? Uh, James Cameron. James Cameron's not Michael Bay. <laughs> 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 James Cameron, yeah. Wash your mouth out. Yeah. <laughs> well, the less said about Jim Cameron's career after this film is, you know... Oh, well, we had Titanic after this, didn't we? Apparently, um, yeah, apparently Jimmy Lee Curtis auditioned for this film by uh, washing James Cameron's car in the bikini. No, not really. <laughs> You've actually got me for a second there, Rich. I thought that actually yeah. happened. I'm, I'm, just waiting for the, I'm just waiting for someone to crack the Bill Paxton joke. May he rest in peace to ever lovely Bill Paxton. The only actor to be to be killed by an alien, a predator, a terminator, oh, yeah. and a qualified surgeon. <laughs> That's quite impressive. Oh. <laughs> I sort of just get mixed up with Bill Pullman to be fair. That all came out when, when Bill Paxton so died and then it's like rest in peace Bill Paxton and it's Bill Pullman just pulling a face like what? <laughs> I'm not dead. <laughs> But the um the the other <coughs> kind of like um, high point for this film is Tom Arnold. Oh yeah, Tom Arnold's performance. I mean, I like Tom Arnold anyway. He's got such a high performance in most of his films, but um, high energy, and he doesn't really disappoint in this film. And he plays his role as like Harry's sideman partner perfectly. You just what you want from from an actor for that role really yeah definitely definitely i watched but, tom Allman. i haven't watched seen tom Arnold, tom arnold in anything for a long time wow i i don't think i've heard from him or about him in 20 years he doesn't just, do much anymore does he nah no Ever since he split up with um 
He's married. Married. He was married to Roseanne Barr, wasn't it? Yeah, he was. Blessed, blessed son. Very, a, a very Nazi. abusive relationship, apparently. Yeah. Well, I have a bit of trivia about that. Uh, when Harry tells Gib that Helen is having an affair, Gib tells a story about his second wife taking everything when she left him, even the ice cube trays from the freezer. This is a direct reference to Tom Arnold's divorce from Roseanne Barr that was happening at the at the same time. She was reported to have taken his ice cube trays when she left him as well. Arnold told the story to James Cameron on the set while saying, what kind of sick bitch takes the ice cube trays out of the freezer? Cameron thought the line was hilarious and incorporated it into the film. Awesome, awesome. So, well, True Lies got um, a, a nice 7.2 on IMDb. It was released on the 12th of August of 1994 in the UK with a budget of $115 million. Its worldwide gross was $378 million. I can confirm it is on Netflix in the following countries. Um, Germany, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, South Korea, Switzerland and Thailand. So if you've got a VPN, <laughs> crack on. <laughs> because you ain't seen it on the UK ones. Yep. I'll be on South Korean tonight. <laughs> I watched it on the German one. It was fine. Oh, yeah, really? Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Lovely. Well, all that's left is uh, Chris's choice. So, uh, Chris, please, um, please um, let us know. What film have you bought for us this this time? Well, I could not do a comfort movie this current time period uh, <laughs> in my life. Uh, two generations collide, two captains, one destiny. It's Star Trek Generations to all you non-Trekkies out there. All I ask is a tall ship and a star to steer by. They made space the final frontier. Enterprise, are you ready? And became its ultimate heroes. Once again, we've saved civilization as we know it. Now, for the first time, the final frontier meets the next generation. As past and future. Action. Mr. Wolf now. And adventure. Two minutes to a warp core breach. Kirk and Picard come together face to face. Cosmic thoughts, gentlemen. Let's make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise. Star Trek Generations. And yes, Next Gen's first foray into motion pictures. And what a ride it was. Do you <laughs> um, think it was a good one? It was okay. Um, the tr- I think the, the weirdest thing is for Next Generation is, especially when... The series wrapped in 94, and while they were dismantling, not dismantling the set, sorry, while they were setting up for Star Trek Voyager, that DS9 was on the air as well, they were filming Generations, so what they did was, they had, they had three productions basically going on on the same lot on Paramount constantly. Now this was a time before they split between TV and film branches of Paramount Studios. 
where the Star Trek films, and they call it Legacy Trek now, where between 87 and when Enterprise ended in 2005 or 6, Star Trek had this consistent look and feel because it was made by the same people. I think I've said this kind of before somewhere. Mm-hmm. It had this very familiar feel and heart behind everything. And it was... And that's that's what made Next Generation, when it went into films, it made it appear like just an overlong episode that happened to be set into theatres. Mm-hmm. Because of that very reason, it was... Um, they kind so, of, and they kind of abandoned that with well they managed to make that better with First Contact I thought yeah because the original plan was to give the crew a different ship for generations they'd even made uniforms they'd even tailored new uniforms but they scrapped them at the last minute and I don't think even any test footage exists um, but the action figures weirdly had the new uniforms that were made for the film there's only a slight change to make it look to make the uniforms look less television like, mm-hmm. but they made the ultimate decision that they weren't working, so they just kept the the next gen uniforms. But they they kind of amalgamated that and the DS9 shoulder color uniforms together in the same film to bridge the gap between DS9 Voyager and Next Gen. It was a weird time for Star Trek. It was going through this flux, um, but Nexus. Yeah, um, but the choice to go into films was the next logical step after Star Trek Six. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, all the original crew, the actors were were getting too old. Yeah, they were getting too old, and and they had this bunch of other actors that were doing a Star Trek show, so it made sense. Yeah, and it's just like wrap the show up, and so the, the same year of next gen wrapping filming, they made a film and released it the next year, so. It was this weird passing the torch thing. It was a perfect kind of thing that, what do we do? Uh, we call it Star Trek Generations. We literally bridged the generations of the shows. It's a play on words. It's a bit of a pun, but it does it does work. It's like the passing of the torch. Yeah, and it opens up the Enterprise B, which comes after Kirk's ship, um, captained by um, Cameron from uh, <laughs> Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just going on a, a training cruise, basically, and it's got visiting VIPs in the form of Captain Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov. Now, originally, it was supposed to be Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly, but they both declined to appear in the film because they didn't like the script, and they didn't like how they were just shoehorned in just to get bums on seats in the cinema, basically, which is what that was for. Um... So the lines weren't really changed that much, and it's very, very visible, obvious that, like, Chekhov is saying lines that were meant for McCoy and Scott, so on and so forth. So <clears throat> there's a lot of weirdness going on there, and when you when you do a film like this, you've got star power behind William Shatner and these three actors who have been acting for at this point probably like forty years, fifty years before this. And you're not only bringing in a, a TV show to those theatres that only probably 50 or 60% of the world even know exists. Mm-hmm. It's a massive gamble. But basically, it's a training cruise. They get a distress call. The new captain of this new enterprise is inexperienced, very young. And Kirk's itching to 
tell him how to do his job, but he respects him enough to say, look, this is your ship, you do as you as you want, and there's a few issues, and they answer the distress call, and <coughs> they don't have anything they need, they don't have torpedoes or tractor beams, so literally they don't have anything to, to keep going, basically, so the captain succumbs to weakness and asks Kirk for his opinion, he says, right, what would you suggest? And Kirk comes straight out without thinking, boom, you need to do this to save these people. And then they rescue this, a few people from these ships, from this energy ribbon. Kirk goes down to be the hero of the, the 11th hour and that part of the ship gets destroyed. Kirk gets apparently blown off into space. And then it cuts to 80, no, 78 years in the future on the holodeck and you've got the next generation crew on a Worf's promotion holodeck program on a classic naval vessel, Picard gets this message through subspace that basically says that your nephew and brother were killed in a fire, basically. So Picard has his breakdown and he goes up and it's rubbing off on the crew and they're kind of picking up these really bad vibes. Generations works as this beautiful character study and especially Patrick Stewart carrying this whole film it's just a masterclass of how to act and channel your emotions. Um, and having recently suffered a loss myself, I watched this just today actually. It just became evident how much of a master of his craft Patrick Stewart is. And he was just fantastic in these scenes where he breaks down in his quarters. So when he finally accepts that this has happened to his family. And basically that's the catalyst for the film is Picard's lost loss and it drives him just and then you get the reveal that the guy one of the guys played by Malcolm McDowell was picked up by the Enterprise 78 years ago is now back in the fold and trying to get back to this energy ribbon which is basically I don't know space cocaine or space <laughs> weed it basically is, is what it is it is it it gives you anything you've ever wanted. You feel you don't want to leave. You're so comfortable. You're so contented. and You just want to get back to it. You just want to get back to it. That's basically what it is. And this guy is destroying stars to change the gravity of the star systems to get to a certain planet to intercept this Nexus energy ribbon. Which, spoilers, later on. And Guinan knows this guy because he was, she was rescued on the same ship as well back in 78 years ago. And they bring this up and say, and Riker drops that bombshell, well, that was the mission that James Kirk was killed. And they go on this thing, they, you know, Data gets his emotion chip, and there's a fight with Romulans on this space station. Um, Data gets his, his emotion chip, and he loses his call, and he can't save Geordi, who is then kidnapped by the Klingons, who are working with Dr. Soren, played by Malcolm McDowell. And they basically use his visor to hack the Enterprise's shield to penetrate the weapons. And the Enterprise gets destroyed. And it's this amazing set piece where they separate the saucer from the drive section. And the way they made these sets and built for a TV show look amazing in this film is stunning. The cinematography is beautiful in this film. It makes those sets that were built for a 1980s TV show look absolutely stunning. Obviously, they, they cleaned them up and they repainted them and ILM did the miniature work. Now, ILM built the miniature for the show and shot loads of stock footage for it back in 87. 
or 86. They repainted this miniature, well, say it's a miniature, I think it was like 11 foot long or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, it's still pretty big. And it is shot beautifully. So many shots are stunning. And especially watching it on Blu-ray, it's just like, wow. And it was one of the, I believe it's one of the first films as well to implement a fully <coughs> convincing CG ship in the energy ribbon. And I couldn't tell the difference. It was stunning. And this was done in 94. It was just amazing. But the interior sets, they gave them all a movie facelift. They changed the lighting. They put side stations on the bridge and they made it all really moody. You know, they really brought all those shadows and curves out from this, which on the show is all classically overlit TV show. But it just looks stunning. When I was watching it today, just the scenes in 10 Ford and in the crew quarters where the, the star they're orbiting has got almost this really autumn sunset colours coming through the windows and it's stunning really strikingly strikingly lit and shot do you think um, like when they and advertised the film and they were doing all the promotion and it was like Kirk and Picard and do you think they could have done better with the story I mean like they they could have done I a lot better. I think it was a case of it was partially a rush job. Um, not a rush job as such, but it was just like, I think it was such a late decision to go, well, what do we do next? Now our show's ended. Let's film, let's film a film, a motion picture. And I think they, they leaned too heavily on the star power of William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Um, and it only, the franchise only celebrated its 25th in 91. So... It was approaching its 30th anniversary, which would be 96. Um, but it could have been done better. But also, it's a kind of nice little film as it is. Yes, it's a bit ropey. It's a bit tropey. It's very sort of cringy and corny in piece in parts. Um, but when, you know, when Soren finally just gets this nexus to come through the planet and the planet's destroyed and then Picard wakes up in this this beautiful set um, set in a Victorian Christmas the family that Picard's always wanted mm-hmm. and could never have it's just this set is so beautiful this Victorian Christmas tree and and Guinan's there and Picard's like this isn't quite right he's you know a bit tripping out and it's like this is too perfect and obviously, being in the Nexus, you don't question anything. Time has no meaning. You don't question anything. It's like when when you're really, really drunk and time is going so slowly and you're in that moment and it's like forever. It's that kind of feeling that they're trying to get across. And Picard, the logical part of Picard's brain is just like, no, no, this is wrong. And he sees Guinan in his, not hallucination, you could say something like that, but She's more of an echo of his consciousness that comes through and gives him guidance. And I believe they they shot on an actual vintage, not sure if it's a Victorian, but it was getting old enough. There's a beautiful carousel with horses. It was a children's carousel and she's sitting on it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just gorgeous, this whole eight minute scene and then she explains that time has no meaning and you want to get back there and 
you can leave and go any time, any place, and and then she drops that bombshell like, well, if you need help, I there's someone from his point of view, he's just arrived too, and it's Captain Kirk, and he's not dead, he's in this temporal nexus, and he's and Picard tries to explain to him what it is, and he says, well, what was the last thing you remember? And Kirk says, well, he was, you know, trying to help the Enterprise get away from this energy ribbon. And then the next thing he knows, he's chopping wood and then Picard's there. So the 78 years in our time is seconds in this nexus. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, Picard convinces Kirk that it's all wrong and he has to accept that this is all too good to be true and your old love is there and you're in your old house that you sold years ago and and this is where you get that at first it's a very abrasive chemistry between him and Patrick Stewart almost like you know Shatner's ego kind of like is very very much at the forefront of his performance in a few scenes and it's a shame because Shatner is a very good actor and sometimes he lets that ego become bigger than him and it's it's a shame because it it rubs off on the scenes sometimes, mm-hmm. but um, yeah they they leave the nexus after convincing and they have this mountain top battle with Malcolm McDowell and Kirk is you know the hero and he's doing a classic Kirk double fist punches, <laughs> <laughs> you know and the Star Trek's known for its slow fights yeah. <laughs> and it just I remember watching it today and I was like this fight is going on for ever <laughs> and um yeah it ends and Kirk's the hero he helps save the day and he he dies and Star Trek fans who are listening will probably curse me for saying this but I think it was a nice poignant death for such an iconic character I'm not one of these people that jump on a bandwagon that were like oh iconic character and that's how he died um no I'm a proponent of no one has to have a major death to be impactful. It was a subtle death. It was a meaningful death. He was doing something that helped change time in a way because it works with kind of two timelines. The planet's destroyed. All the Enterprise crew are dead. So when Picard's in a nexus, the timeline's different. Everyone's dead. Everyone Picard knows is dead. The ship's destroyed. The planet's been completely destroyed but when they go back a few minutes prior to the ribbon from uh, the sun from blowing up and pushing the ribbon towards them (coughs) they change that so everyone Picard knows and loves on his ship that's crash landed survive but the subtleness of Kirk's death I find actually quite nice because no one goes out in a blaze of glory do they not in real life, no. No, not. it's not realistic. And yeah. the way they did this death was Kirk basically getting this remote control to decloak a missile so Picard could destroy it and end Soren's reign of terror. It was a subtle death. He was clinging to this bridge and it fell. It's very cliche, maybe, but it's. Star Trek fans wanted this big bombastic death for Captain Kirk, but he mm. already had his big, big, massive death in the opening scenes. Mm. He was apparently, you know, inverted commas, killed when the ship was hit. 
but he didn't. He died 78 years in the future, and it's... I just think it's just subtle but poignant death, and he just accepts his death, as Kirk does, and it's just a great little film. For, for, a, Star, for, yeah, for, the, for a Star Trek people, it was, it was a good film, and I think, like, sitting here and listening to you going through the plot of the film, it kind of highlights maybe why it didn't do as well as maybe it could have, because of, for, for a, a motion picture film, I f- think that maybe the, the plot was a bit too heavy mm. for uh, a moviegoer. You know, like um, when you look at First Contact and basically it's like the Enterprise crew against this horde of enemies that have... Yeah. Um, first, con- first contact, yeah, is and one of those it's, films. It's easy just... for the for the watcher to get grasp of that plot because it's quite simple. Yeah, but it's effective and it's um, and it's fun. Whereas with generations, it's very Star Trek. It's very heavy. It's very, with, it's with very the, cerebral and yeah. very. Uh... And maybe that's what went <coughs> mostly against that. Mm. It's for for the standard general. <coughs> it's a very odd balance because First Contact was literally, um, like you said, Jason. It was a black and white movie. It was, this is a ship, these are the people, these are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Boom, we're Done. throwing a bit, of, we're throwing a bit of time travel predestination paradox in there just for shits and giggles, and you can deposit that plot into any film, whereas Generations very much relies heavily rooted in its in Star Trek's past yeah. as well as in its present. So it's a very weird balance mm. of um basically saying to the ev- average go movie average Joe movie audience, um, you guys know William Shatner, right? He was Captain Kirk. Well, we now got him in this movie with the new crew and it 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 kind of trips itself up by doing so, but also it it would work perfectly as an edited two-part episode of Next Gen. Yeah. But obviously, you've got William Shatner, so you can't really do that on a TV budget, so you make a major film with it. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's, yeah, it's just got this weird balance of its, like you said, it's almost too Star Trek for average people to tune into and... And kind of understand what's going on, yeah, with the whole temporal mechanics of it, and alternate timelines, and nexus, and space cocaine, and stuff like yeah. that. It's, and time yeah. travel, and it's all going yeah. off in it. Yeah, I mean, but it's funny you say <coughs> that though. But it's funny as well because this film is quite close to my heart in the way mm. that it was the first. Um, full experience of Star Trek for me. Yeah. For some reason, I just wanted to go and see it at the, at the cinema. Mm. And so my dad took me. And after seeing this film, I was all in on Trek. I went out and I bought all the... Um, they did, at the time, the VHS sets with yeah. all the two-part episodes into one TV movie. Yeah. Sets. And so I went out and bought all those and watched them. And then that got me more hooked. And then I watched, started watching all the TV shows. And obviously, that got me more hooked. And then obviously, DS9 came and just mm. went from there. And it all was a catalyst from this film. 
it's just the kind of it's one of those films that you just like if someone says to you what would what would you show people to explain to them what Star Trek is about and I think Generations nails it um, not only so much with the original crew you don't really need to know much about that you just it nails the characterizations it's basically a lovely pie slice of what the characters are like in next gen show mm-hmm. in this two hour movie mm-hmm. you know who the characters are you know what they mean to each other you know what relationships they have to each other and then you can maybe say backtrack from there go and see where these relationships started or how these friendships were formed and yeah it's just this lovely little two hour ride of this literal general generation hopping film clever but also it ties itself down too much yeah. thought provoking and also very tropey and yeah. predictable and you you, you know to get full <coughs> benefit from the film you have to go and watch seven seasons of Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Um, I have got a little bit of trivia about the film, and it does come on with Leonard Nimoy and why he didn't want to be in the film, like you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you're about to say. <laughs> yeah. So um, he was originally asked to act and direct this film, but he declined after reading the script and being told there was no time to fix the parts with which he had problems with. Mm. According to Nimoy, there was a character named Spock in the script, but the lines were so bland they could have been spoken by anyone. Yeah. Those lines were given to James Doohan as Scotty. Nimoy later pointed to this performance as proof that he was right. Yeah. So, um, Star Trek Generations, um, it's got a nice 6.6 rating on IMDb. Um Released on the 10th of February. It's another one that came out in 1995 in the UK, but was out on the 20th of November 1994 in the US. Um, This also had a budget of $35 million, but it took £118 million as well. So, not a bad profit on the film, I guess, really. That's good. It's one thing I've never really looked into is like what the film's made. And it did all right mm. from its budget. I'd be happy if I was Paramount. Very but happy. it's it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, would it have made that money if they didn't shoehorn in three of the original crew in there mm. and have it as a like a not as much a flashback, but it's kind of like two parts to the film. You got one taking place seventy eight years before the second half, but would it have had the impact because? I, I, I seriously don't know. Hmm. And a lot of people have said next-gen films are very much like overlong TV episodes. But I think First Contact changed that. Yeah. I think that was like they, you know, a new ship that was built specifically for films. Yeah, and definitely. the they, Enterprise... They a, yeah. A, a set. That's why they destroyed this TV Enterprise, was to like actually design and build one designed for films to look good on camera mm-hmm. and they did the E was mm. a, a very beautiful ship but yeah first contact I'm, is just fantastic I'm sure we'll uh, I'm sure you'll bring that up when uh, 1996 rolls around yeah a couple of years ago was it 96 it came out yeah yeah 96. for the 30th 30th anniversary blimey 
Rich, are you still with us, mate? I'm here, yeah. <laughs> Did you enjoy the snooze? <laughs> oh, it's lovely, yeah. No. I'm just, you know, me, I'm just a very, very respectful person. I always will just stand back and let you guys wax lyrical about Star Trek. <laughs> I've never seen this film. I think I've only seen a handful of Star Trek films that mm-hmm. aren't the new ones. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't speak for this film. No. Never, It'll never saw it. It'd be interesting to hear your take on it because where it yeah. is such a heavy Trek storyline. I mean, on I, an echo, outsider. I echo Chris's thoughts on the whole Kirk death thing I mean obviously I can't speak for the film in question but as a narrative thing like I've always liked more understated anything I think that has more impact to be honest mm-hmm. yeah. more grandiose you make something the more overwritten you make it it mm-hmm. kind of just feels I don't know it sucks a lot of the sincerity from it and I like it to feel grounded for understated you know it kind of reminds you that this happens to us all and doesn't matter how big a character is like you know it, i i just find there's more power in that kind of writing it yeah it's like it detracts from that moment by making it too big you know like, yeah it's like spock's death for instance in star trek 2 yeah. like um everyone raves about it and yes it's an impactful scene when they're separated by the um the radiation shield and they everyone was sharing those gifts and videos when Leonard Nimoy died and it's just like he went down to the engine room into what is essentially a nuclear reactor and realigned the, the crystal it's basically the proper version of what Chris Pine's Kirk does in Star Trek Into Darkness and the less said about that the better um, and it's uh, Spock gets irradiated and he dies whereas Kirk just decloaks a missile and the bridge collapses and he dies in a, a subtle way. It's like and Data in Nemesis, he jumps from one ship to another and blows the other one up. You're like, hang on a minute, that's like you said Rich, it's a bit fantastical, it's a bit like alright, I get it. But the, like you said Rich, the understated deaths are the most impactful ones because that is how most people leave this world. <laughs> in very simple ways. Hey Janelle, what's wrong with Wolfie? Even just to watch can hear him barking. Stewart just own the two hour runtime of this film. He owns everything though, doesn't he? It's in. Like him and Malcolm McDowell in the 10 forward and um, Picard and Marina Sirtis in Picard's quarters when he breaks down with his family photo album. It's just two stunning scenes from this film. And you've got Malcolm McDowell's like just delivery of, you know, time is the fire in which we burn line and the you know, time is a predator that stalks us. You know, and it's just like what the hell? It's just madness. And watching these two Shakespearean thespians have it out of each other throughout this film, it's just it's just worth it. It's just even just go on YouTube and just queue up those scenes. It's just But that that okay. line that you just said, uh, the the fire one that Malcolm McDowell said. Yeah, someone once told me that time is the fire in which we burn and it stalks us like a predator. I think he got that line engraved onto a a watch. Did he? he used in the film 
because he found that so empowering. It's one of those lines that you you hear and some people roll their eyes and go, oh, that is like the most cringiest shit ever. But then some people, like me, I found it really profound because it's so true. And a lot of lines from Star Trek and even Doctor Who and some really random films that I've watched over the past few years of my life, I've been like, wow, those lines stick with you. And when you use that analogy of time is the fire in which we burn, now it's, that line was written deliberately for Picard to react to because obviously he just lost his brother and nephew in a fire on Earth. So that was deliberately put in there for him to have that emotional reaction to and but it is still a very profound line because it's so true <clears throat> especially when it goes on to you know times of predator stalking us <laughs> it's just crazy yeah pretty much but uh yeah well thanks for uh for choosing that film chris it was a it was a banger uh, and that's it listeners you've uh, you've made it to the end as of we and uh all i want to do is to thank you for uh appreciate you spending your time with us and um don't forget if you liked what you heard then maybe check out our patreon if you fancy throwing us a quid it would mean the world to us you'll find a link tree link in the show notes which has all our links in including our website and twitter handles and much more and if you have a few spare minutes it would be awesome if you could leave a review on apple podcasts it really will help the show be more discoverable and i will read out the reviews on the show too Guys, you got any final words before we let these lovely people go? Um, I was going to fire off a bison quote, but I've completely forgot it. So. Oh, no. No, sorry. I'll come back to you. Chris? Yep, just a couple. Just uh, take care of yourselves, guys, because uh, this is all we got. Certainly is. Certainly is, mate. Um, Rich, have you remembered it? Um, it probably was the one... Um, the day Bison came to your village was the most important day of, of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> Speaking of Tuesday, that's quite quite apt because that's when all the uh, Enterprise B stuff was going to be installed on Tuesday. For all you Star Trek fans out there, that one oh, was okay. for you. Beautiful fact, mate. Beautiful fact. Mm. <laughs> the uh, tractor beam, Tuesday. Medical staff, Tuesday. Photon torpedoes, don't tell me, Tuesday. <laughs> it's, it's a Star Tuesday. Trek. It's a Star Trek joke, Rich. Look it up. It'll make sense. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll give it a look. I'll give it a look. Um, okay. Well, all that's left for me to say is that you've been listening to What's Wrong with Wolfie, a nineties podcast to the max. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye bye. See you later. Bye.